Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad that you're joining us, uh, whether I'm present here or online. Um, we're starting a new series today. It's called Guardrails. And if you've been around here for six, seven years, uh, we did this series before. We don't do series usually over. Uh, but this is one that was uh, actually requested from somebody that wasn't here then. And uh, I probably got more positive feedback from this series than I, probably any I've ever taught. Uh, it's been around for a long time, actually. Um, so we're going to redo it, uh, update it some, of course. Uh, but before we get into this, I want to reiterate what uh, Angela said. I actually watched the children's material yesterday for the first time. And I encourage you to do that, especially I thought the fourth and fifth grade material was uh, applicable for adults. And the lesson was about something we talked about a few weeks ago, about Paul talking to uh, uh, the Athenians uh, about the unknown God. So check that out. It's a lot of fun. It won't take you long. And uh, if you should, certainly if you've got kids or grandkids, uh, expose that to them. So the first um, teaching on guardrails is going to be about direct and protect. And this series takes the analogy of a guardrail and applies it to other areas of life. And uh, very important. So, what is a guardrail? Well, a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Um, so, we understand that, right? Uh, you find them on bridges, you don't go off the bridge. You find them on curves, you don't go off the curve. You find them in medians, so you don't go into tra oncoming traffic. So, that's what they're designed for. Uh, we could summarize it this way, guardrails are designed to direct and protect, direct us on, to stay on the road and protect us from going off the road. A couple other things about guardrails, guardrails are not placed in the danger zone, this is really important, <laughs> but in the safety zone. Now we've got guardrails out here on an on intersection and there's a steep drop off. Now, we would think it would be crazy to put the guardrail halfway down the, the drop-off. The guardrails aren't even put on the edge of the drop-off. They're put in several feet back from the drop-off. And consequently, you, don't, you avoid the guardrail, so consequently you're way, way away from the danger zone. So we don't place them in the danger zone, and that's going to be significant when we talk about them in our personal lives. But you place them in safety zones, in places before you get to the danger. I don't think anybody would argue with that. The logic of that makes perfect sense. Guardrails also are designed to minimize damage. Minimize damage. Now, I had a personal experience of this only one time. A long time ago when I was in seminary, I was driving home uh, to Maryland from North Carolina. I got on the Washington Beltway. It was in the wintertime. It was snowing, and it was slippery, and I was driving my little Maverick, and uh, I started to slide, and I hit the guardrail. It bounced me back into the road, and I kept going. I didn't hit anybody else. They didn't hit me, and there was no damage done to my car. It operated perfectly like it was designed to operate. So that was my experience. Maybe you've had experiences also. Now, why are we talking about guardrails? Because the highway isn't the only place that we need to put guardrails. We need to put them in other areas of our lives where we need to be kept in the safety zone away from the danger zone. Uh, call these uh, barriers or uh, boundaries. Or you could use other terms. 
But the visual of a guardrail is really helpful, I think. And if I was to ask you about the major regrets in your life, we all have regrets, the major regrets in your life, if we think back, if you have had guardrails in place, whether it's a financial issue, a moral issue, a relationship issue, a vocational issue, whatever those regrets were, if you, if you and I had guardrails in place, we could have avoided some, if not all, of those regrets. So that's huge, because we're going to talk about how to help you have less regrets. None of us like regrets. Now, one of the big problems we have <laughs> is, is with our culture, our society. Our culture doesn't encourage guardrails, just to the contrary. Our culture is content with painted lines, you know, and side of the road we have painted lines, we don't have guardrails. Uh, well, society is fine with that, no matter how dangerous it is on the other side. Now, <clears throat> not only are they content with painted lines, uh, people tend to make fun of you for having guardrails, for having boundaries. And not only people in general, but even sometimes loved ones. Uh, it's interesting to me. Um, my wife and I have always kind of eaten, eaten kind of strange. And I was thinking back when we were uh, appointed missionaries in 1984, and we were in a missionary learning center. Uh, we were not eating things that were white. We didn't eat white sugar or any sugar, really. We didn't eat white flour. We didn't eat white rice. So we were in this cafeteria setting, and so... Um, you could, you know, eat, and we had two, two boys, Micah and Josh, they were probably five and three at the time, and for them not to be allowed to eat sugar when there's this ice cream place where you get all the ice cream you wanted was difficult. In fact, they housed us in a quad, which means there was four families that lived in the same building with a common area, and uh, they put us in a quad with the retired missionary couple, an older couple, one, a couple with one daughter that was going to Korea and ourselves with two sons. The reason they put us that way was because this family requested to be with us because their daughter wasn't allowed to eat sugar either. <laughs> All the other kids, of course, ate sugar. And my son, Josh, tells me he's been scarred for life for that, <laughs> from that experience. <laughs> uh, but even now, most of you know we were vegans and... Uh, and funny thing is, even, even family members of loved ones, they don't say, well, that's a great, great guardrail you have, a great boundary you've set, you've decided that's the best diet for your health. No, 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 what do people do? They make fun of the way you eat instead of encouraging you to have these guardrails. So even loved ones aren't really encouraging of guardrails. Now, speaking of culture or society, they'll have things like this. Um, well, drink responsibly. Well, what kind of guardrail is that? In fact, the more you drink, the less responsible you become, if I understand it correctly. And so it's really not a guardrail, it's kind of a, a guideline maybe, not a very strong one. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, sexual area, we're going to talk about some of these areas. Things people love to talk about, sex, uh, sex uh, money, uh, drinking. The problem is people don't like talking about them in church usually, do they? But we're going to talk about it. We're going to have fun with this. So drink responsibly. Have sex when you're ready. Well, probably most males at 12 years old think they're ready. Uh, certainly when they become teenagers. I don't think there's much of a guardrail with have sex when you're ready. 
But that's what culture teaches. That's what culture says. What about this one? Consolidate your debt. Well, wait a minute. Maybe you should just get out of debt. No, no. Consolidate your debt, and then you can probably get into more debt. Not a really good guardrail. Kind of a guideline, but not much of a guardrail. And probably the one, my least favorite is this. Just listen or follow your heart. Well, I don't know about you, but my heart likes to do some stuff I shouldn't do. In fact, the Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked. So following your heart is really not a good guardrail. But that's the way culture operates. Not only do they not uh, encourage you to have guardrails, uh, they make fun of you if you have guardrails, and if you don't have guardrails and step across the line, then they'll even mock you. Uh, now, I understand when we don't want to have guardrails. We don't like to say no to ourselves, do we? <laughs> we like to go as, and do whatever we want and go as far as we want, uh, but consequently, there are the regrets that hopefully you and I don't, don't want. So, I'll give you an illustration from our culture. Most of you probably have heard of the Billy Graham rule. Uh, 50, 60 years ago, Billy Graham uh, set up this rule for his life where he'd never be alone with a female other than his family members. He wouldn't have a meal with them. He certainly wouldn't meet them with them in private. He wouldn't travel with them, etc. Uh, this has come up recently because our vice president, Mike Pence, has the same rule. And does culture say, ah, hey, that's great that you have this rule? No, no, no. Society and culture makes fun of him for having this rule. Uh, not meeting with a, 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 a woman. And we have a, a friend of a friend that actually works with Pence, and he says, he, this is true, he won't do that. Well, so that's the rule, and I've had this rule in, in my life uh, for many years. Uh, two weeks ago, I had to tell somebody I couldn't take them to a Tuesday night Bible study because my wife wasn't coming, and I didn't want to be with this female person alone in my car. So it's inconvenient sometimes, but that's my guardrail been that, that way for, for a long time. But when you cross that, that <laughs> guardrail and mess up your relationship, then what does society say? Well, it causes you, calls you names and calls you a, a home record and whatever. So they don't like the guardrails. They make fun of you for having them, and they make fun of you if you break them or go past them. But anyway, back to Mike Pence. <clears throat> um, the Harvard Business Review, I'm not familiar with that, but you think it's pretty smart people who write these things, uh, was mocking or making fun of, uh, of Pence. I got a couple quotes from the article that, that just kind of I thought were funny uh, in a sad way. All right, so here, here, here's one thing. Uh, the title of the article is Men Should Not Basically Not Meet Alone with Women. So what is an evolved male leader to do with this dilemma meeting alone with with women. In the simplest terms, according to the Harvard Business Review, become what we call a thoughtful caveman. Isn't that a good expression? A thoughtful caveman. Now, most of us men wouldn't push back against the term caveman. We're basically just kind of simple and, and haven't evolved much since caveman days, probably. Uh, we don't use the term cave women, but I guess there were cave women back then. Had to be, right? So, their advice is don't have the Billy Graham rule, but be a thoughtful caveman. Is that really helpful, guys? I don't find it very helpful. And then the, later on in the article is really a, a strange comment, I thought. Here it is. Healthy, mature, 
self-aware men. Now, ladies, how many of those have you met? If you find one, take a picture, right? <laughs> There's just a lot of those running around. So we assume that we're going to be healthy, mature, self-aware men. Uh, they understand and accept their distinctly, now look, notice this phrase, male neural architecture. Now, basically, that, to me, I think that means we're cavemen. I, I'm not sure. And if you understand it better than me, uh, you know, send me a message. So that's their advice. Don't have the Billy Graham rule. Be a healthy, mature, self-aware man and ex- understand and accept your distinct male neural architecture. All right, so I don't think that's very helpful, but that's what culture wants to go and what's, what they want to do. So, don't want boundaries. Now, part of the argument was that it limits women's ability to, to move up in the organization. But I think that can, <laughs> you ladies can do that some other way. <clears throat> so, culture and maybe even your loved ones don't, Encourage, certainly don't celebrate the fact that you have guardrails, but I'll guarantee you, if you have guardrails, you will have fewer regrets. And if that's your desire, if that's your goal, then certainly establish guardrails. So here's my definition. A guardrail is a standard of personal behavior. So this isn't a right and wrong thing. This is not a universal thing. It's personal and me. So, my wife and I chose to eat a certain way. You can choose to eat a different way. Just make, you know, make an educated choice about your eating and how, you know, not being alone with somebody the opposite sex, whatever it might be. It's personal for you. You're not saying everybody else should do what you do. And it becomes a matter of conscience, meaning this. This is my guardrail. So, example, when I realized we had invited this lady to, to come to Bible study with us, and my wife wasn't going to be there. My conscience said, no, I can't do this. <laughs> and I had to call her up and apologize, and, and unfortunately, she wasn't able to come. <clears throat> so, it is personal. It's not universal. It's about my behavior, and it's a matter of my conscience. Now, this isn't new. This has been around forever. The Old Testament has guardrails in it. The New Testament has guardrails. We're going to look at something from the New Testament, something Paul wrote, a guy that kind of, well, he did. He hated Christians for a while, and then he became a Christian, and he was very uh, adamant about his faith and, and wrote parts of our New Testament. Uh, so this is in, in a book called Ephesians, and we're going to kind of do parts of the first uh, 20 verses. You can read the rest yourself. Uh, and if you're married, you can read the rest of the chapter because that's the part that talks about Husband and wives being submissive to one another. Good stuff. <clears throat> so, beginning in verse 1. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are dear children. Now, how do children learn stuff? They watch other people. And especially their parents. And so, they learn to walk and talk and stuff. Mostly listening, imitating their parents. So, what are you and I supposed to do? As a child of God, we are to imitate God in our thoughts, our actions, etc. Just common illustration, simple illustration. <clears throat> now, what's God mostly about? If I asked you, what is God like or what is He about? 
we would say what Paul says here, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. In fact, he loved us enough to die for us, offered himself a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So God loves not cautiously, but extravagantly. How much more extravagant can it be than to offer your son as a sacrifice? So if I'm imitating God, the simplest way to say it is to live a life of extravagant love. Then in verses 3 through 7, he summarizes some things to stay away from. Stay away from sexual immorality, et cetera, et cetera. You can read it for yourself. And then we get to verse 8. He said, once upon a time you were full of darkness. Once upon a time you were separated from God, didn't have a relationship with God. Uh, As we talked about last week, we're sinners. But now, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, we're glad you were watching and this stuff will be helpful to you. Now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. Okay, so now we've got this greater understanding, this relationship with God. And just as you stumble around in the dark, now when the light's on, you can see there's no more, you don't need to stumble anymore. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So if I follow this light, it's going to direct me where? To things that are good and right and true. Things I won't have to regret. So he says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord, the things that are good, right, and true. So light exposes, exposes bad things, but it also exposes good things, direction we can go, safely go. So after he summarizes this, we're going to skip down to verse 15 where he kind of says, okay, I need to give some handles. And it gives us a specific illustration of what we're calling guardrails. So, verse 15. So, consequently, be careful how you live. Um, some of the older translations use the word walk. Be careful how you walk. Now, I don't have any pets, but some of you have dogs, especially big dogs. And if you've got a small backyard, you understand this illustration, don't you? When you walk in your backyard. You walk carefully, don't you? You walk, you're mindful of where your feet are going because you don't have regrets where you put on your feet, do you? So that's what he's saying. With life, be careful how you live or how you walk. Pay attention. Look where you're putting your feet, right? So, he goes on. So you're being careful. Otherwise, you're going to live like a fool. Don't like that term. None of us want to be called a fool. But he says, if you're not careful <laughs> where, you're, where you're walking, you would call it foolish if you didn't look where you're walking in the backyard, right, with your dog. So he said, don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. So there's an option to be wise. And again, this is not about right and wrongs. It's about doing the smart thing, the wise thing. <clears throat> I was reading a scripture this morning, um, James 5, no, 1, 5, excuse me. He said, if you lack wisdom, what's it say? Anybody remember? Ask God. He'll give it to you liberally. So if you and I lack wisdom, just ask God. God, I need some wisdom in this area. And we've talked about this before. We said, we said, ask yourself the question. In light of my past experience, things that have happened in my life, in light of my present circumstances, 
And in light of my future hopes and dreams, where I want to go, and I want to be regret-free, what is the wise thing for me to do in whatever circumstance you're in? So that's what he's saying. Analyze. Be careful. Ask yourself that question. Not about right and wrong. It's about the better thing, the wiser thing. Then he goes on. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Older translations use the term redeem your time, which is a good advice, right? You can get, always get more money. You can always get more friends. You can always get more lots of other stuff, but you never can get more, more money. You can never go back and redo. You can't go back and relive those college, some of those college years maybe that you'd like to have done better. Those, some years in your marriage where you struggled. You can't, you can't, you can't redeem the time. You can't get it back. So he says, use your time wisely. Most uh, of every opportunity. Not that you shouldn't dab down time or relax and so forth. That's important to life. So, but why? Why does he say that? Well, he, he goes on to say, because you are living and I'm living in evil days. And I don't need to defend that or <laughs> explain that to anybody. There's a lot of evil, wrongness, badness, whatever, sinfulness in our world if we just look. So, he says, pay attention. <clears throat> so, I thought of the guardrail illustration. When you and I drive, and when you were taught to drive, it was really important what were you taught? To pay attention, right? And we were probably taught what was called defensive driving. See, once you learn to drive, it's kind of it's pretty easy after a while. It's almost, you can do it without thinking. So you aren't normally the problem. The problem is the other person, right? So when I come up to an, going past a, a, a on or off, well, on ramp, off ramp, off ramp, or an intersection, a car is approaching it pretty quickly, I slow down because I don't know if they're going to stop, right? Even though there's a stop sign. That's defensive driving. Well, he says, we need to have defensive living because there's evilness around us. And one way you can do that is to have guardrails. <clears throat> and he goes on again, talks about don't act thoughtlessly without thinking. Think. Now, a foolish person is a person that says life is disconnected. doesn't matter what I do right now because it's not going to affect tomorrow. Well, any logical person, any thinking person is going to say, no, no, no. What I do today does affect tomorrow. And what I did in the past affects my now. So he said, don't be foolish. Don't think life is disconnected. Realize life is connected. Actions have consequences, good and bad. So he said, act thought. Don't act thoughtlessly. Think. And then he uses an interesting phrase or terminology. He says, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, if you know Greek, uh, that word understand is a command. It's an imperative tense. And if you read it, he said, basically it's God's, Paul saying, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, I've done a lot of tutoring and teaching my own kids and so forth. If they're not getting some math concept, for example, is it help for me to say, understand? Not helpful, is it? And so it's a little strange. It seems like God's saying, understand what you don't understand. But this is such an important concept. He said, do whatever you have to do to understand this. This is not optional. He's commanding us to do this. 
Now, let's be honest. We all know more good to do than we do, don't we? And we all know more of God's will to do than we do. Now, I might not know when I'm thinking about retirement one of these days, when is the best time to retire. I may not know that, God's will about that yet. yet. But this book here is full of all kinds of things about God's will we know. And love extravagantly is, is first and foremost. So, <laughs> he says, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Obviously, and then do it. Right? Now, one translation uses this phrase, and I thought this was interesting. One thing leads to another. Right? <laughs> That's why life is connected. One thing leads to another. Now, a guardrail stops that. If my car is headed off the highway, like back in, when I was in seminary, the guardrail stopped it from leading for me going off the highway. It stopped me from having an accident. So guardrails stop, one thing leads to another. We don't have guardrails, one thing does lead to another. So he's going to use an illustration, and you can fill in something else if you don't like his illustration, but I think it's a good illustration. Like I said, we're going to talk about drinking and sex and money in this series. Well, first one we talk about is drinking. So he said, I need an illustration. So here's his illustration. But don't be drunk with wine. <clears throat> now, we have to understand the culture. The culture that day, water was not safe to drink. They didn't understand bacteria and all that stuff. So, consequently, everybody drank wine. It was probably watered-down wine or how they diluted it. Uh, but everybody drank wine. You could drink wine and get drunk. You could drink water and, and get dead. <laughs> so, wine was a lot safer to drink. The downside of drinking wine is what? You drink too much of it and you can get drunk. Now, notice it doesn't say don't drink. The church I grew up in said, their guardrails just don't drink. You know, he said it way over here. If you don't drink, you certainly can't get drunk, logically, right? Uh, but that's not what it teaches. It says don't get drunk. So you can drink alcohol, obviously. But if you drink too much of it, it leads to what? Drunkenness. <clears throat> and speaking of drunkenness, um, some of you probably would have had a whole different life especially growing up, if some family member had just stayed sober. A spouse, if as you're an adult or growing up, one of your parents or grandparents, whoever it might be, they would have had that guardrail. Maybe you personally. <clears throat> now, I realize for some people, this is the goal. You get drunk. And we can laugh about that, but it's not funny once there's somebody's had a you know, um, accident, car accident, because they were drinking and driving, especially if someone was killed, obviously. So Paul's using this illustration of a guardrail. He said, okay, everybody drinks wine, uh, but don't cross the line where you get drunk. And he's going to explain one of the reasons. But before I go on, I want to say this to you. If more than one person has told you you drink too much, believe them, you do. That's all I want to say about it. He goes on, so don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. 
Now, the older translation uses an interesting word. It says, leads to debauchery. Isn't that a cool word? <laughs> debauchery. Uh, that's one way you can destroy or ruin your life is debauchery, I guess. Um, but it will ruin your life. He's basically talking about lack of self-control. Lack of controlling yourself. And that's probably the problem with drinking. From what I understand, I've never been drunk. I can't speak from personal experience. Once you get drink, you've lost some control. I would think that'd be accurate. So, consequently, guardrails safeguard us from handing over control of our lives to someone or something else. In this case, alcohol. Guardrails safeguard us from handing over control. And to be honest with you, the reason I've never gotten drunk is because, not because of the drinking, but because of control. <laughs> it's hard enough to stay in control of your life when you're sober, isn't it? <laughs> so I've never wanted to lose control of my life in, in that area for that reason. <clears throat> not only because of yourself, because of your loved ones. I didn't want to be out of control of my any more than I was with my wife and my kids, etc. And hopefully you don't don't either. Now, if you're not a believer, we're so delighted you're watching or listening. Uh, all this is good advice for you. You can use it or not. It's up to you. But now we're going to get to a part that's just for, for Jesus followers. You can listen in, <laughs> of course. And he says, okay, now, really important concept in life is you can't live in a void. And the problem with having a lot of don'ts or ought nots is, okay, I know I don't, I'm not supposed to do this, 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 and this. What am I supposed to do? And so he's going to give us, hey, instead of doing, not doing that, do this. And here's what he says. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, as Jesus followers, we believe the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in us once we accept his gift of salvation. <clears throat> and so he's saying, give control of your life, not to alcohol, we give you control of your life to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control you. And most of us can remember before we were, were believers, and even as we've been believers for a while, our, I'm going to use the word conscience. I think that's where the Holy Spirit shows up <laughs> in our conscience. It becomes more and more fine-tuned. Stuff we didn't think was wrong before, now we do. And... In the future, probably some things I didn't realize or think was wrong now is wrong for me, or at least wrong, wrong, wrong for me maybe, not for you, but wrong for me. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't yell and scream at us, does it? And maybe that's part of the frustrating thing. He just kind of sits back there and kind of nudges you, and so you start, maybe you're drinking uh, another drink, and the Holy Spirit says, uh, 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 maybe you ought to stop now. And since he doesn't yell or scream, sometimes you just keep on going, right? Uh, you can use it with spending money. Holy Spirit says, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't spend it. You know, you're spending more than you make and you just kind of uh, ignore it. So, we use the word inebriated. So, we could say it this way. Be inebriated by the Holy Spirit. And he gives examples of things to do. Singing praise and hymns, and we just did that. Spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. <clears throat> Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, live out of that overflow, that inebriation of the Holy Spirit. That word everything can mean everyone. So be thankful for everything, 
and every one that God, that God has put in your life. So, back to verse 15. <clears throat> now be careful, be mindful how you live or how you walk. Don't live like fools because they aren't careful. They don't look. But like those who are wise. And again, does culture help you with this and me with this? No. Just the opposite. And the reality is nobody plans to have a car wreck. But they most likely didn't plan not to. Nobody plans to wreck their lives, whether it's with alcohol or, or overspending, whatever it might be, health issue. But they just never plan not to. Personal to me, my dad smoked all his life, died at 45. He just didn't plan not to. So that's been a warning to our family, and I'm sure you have those illustrations in your life. So guardrails. Summed up right this way, is defensive living or proactive living, setting up guardrails or guidelines that not in a danger zone, I'm not even to the danger zone, before I even get to the danger zone, my conscience starts to light up and say, oh, wait a minute, this is headed in the wrong direction. So again, guardrails direct and protect, direct us from going where we shouldn't go and protect us from those things. Consequently, with guardrails, if you're concerned about knowing God's will, hopefully you are as a Jesus follower, it's easier to discern God's will with guardrails, and I'll tell you why. With guardrails, you and I are stepping away from what can harm us, what's not good for us. Consequently, we are stepping toward the one who loves us. Stepping away from harm, stepping toward God who loves us. So I'll leave you to think about, I've, I've, I've said it several different ways, hopefully it'll light up in your, one of these will light up in your mind. Where do you need to start? With guardrails. What do you need to face up to? Some place in your life where you don't have a guardrail that you need to have a guardrail. The same area is some area you're flirting with disaster, relationally, financially, health-wise, whatever it might be. Simply put, where are you driving too close to the edge? So let me pray with you that we're just getting started with this series. Hopefully it's helpful, and uh, hopefully you can join us again next week. Father God, thank you. I thank you so much for this concept, this, this illustration, this principle. Uh, it's been so helpful in my life and, and many of other folks. Uh, we've taught this before. <clears throat> uh, so even if we know what to do, God, help us to be wise enough to implement the guardrails, and then even after we have the guardrails, to stay clear of the guardrails. So allow them to protect and direct us. So we ask for your wisdom and, and direction in that. And you, you ask, tell us to ask for wisdom. And for those that are watching that aren't Jesus followers, excuse me, <clears throat> that aren't Jesus followers, we would pray that you would see the wisdom <laughs> that being a Jesus follower um, can give you, that can help you in, in your life. Uh, fewer regrets, we all would love to have fewer regrets. And with Jesus, uh, that's reality. 
And we pray that you would at least continue to seek, if not step across that line, accept that gift. Invite the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. He's going to start refining, refining your conscience, but that's a good thing. Uh, again, less regrets. So, Father, we thank you that you love us all. You love us extravagantly. Help us to love you and love others extravagantly. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.